good to see everyone this morning. Such a beautiful week we've had. Sunshine, it just uh, makes you feel better, doesn't it, when the sun's out? I'm ready for spring. That's what I'm ready for. We've got a few more months, though, don't we? All right. Turn with me to John chapter 7, if you would. John 7. Verses 32-39 The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Let's pause right there. And ask the Lord to bless this morning. Our Father, we come to you this morning with uh, with known and abundant weaknesses. And if your spirit does not take these words and, and place them on the hearts of your people and on the hearts of others, we will not be able to It will not do what we want it to do, what you want it to do. You must do this, Lord. And so I pray that uh, this morning that you would give give us a desire to hear what you have to say. And at the same time, may we take it to our hearts and see the truth behind it. Open hearts, we pray this morning. Fill the hearts of your people and save those who are lost. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. While Jesus was teaching the people, the Jewish leaders heard the crowd muttering and backbiting against him with increased tones of hatred and animosity. They were infuriated by what they considered to be blasphemy on his part. And blasphemy was a crime worthy of death. Death by stoning. Things were getting out of hand and the Jewish leaders felt they must act. Jesus must die now. And so the people would have laid hands on him, but He was supernaturally protected and they were unable to lay hands on him because it was not yet his hour. Jesus indicates his knowledge of the events and of the time that is growing growing short for, for his own death. He knew that the Passover was coming 
and that he would be the Passover lamb. It was prophesied by John the Baptist from chapter 1 of John's Gospel, verse 29, when John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. As these things were taking place in the temple, the temple guards were sent by the Pharisees to arrest Jesus. And knowing that they were plotting against him to take him, Jesus said to the crowd, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not be able to find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. What horrific words these are. Martin Luther said of them, These are terrible words. I do not like to read them. And indeed they are terrible words. I think some of the most I think some of the most anguishing words of all scripture are found here in this text. In order to understand just what this means, we can see the two uses of the word will in this passage. You will seek me. You will not Find me. Both words are future tense. But when Jesus says, where I am, you cannot come, those words, I am, are present tense. What Jesus is saying is that he will be in heaven and they will not be able to join him there. That makes this sentence Extremely horrible and extremely terrifying. Behind these words is the rejection of the people of Israel of their Messiah. The words, you will seek me, is not a seeking for help from a nation who sees Jesus as its political or military savior. For he never claimed to be that. He did not ride into Jerusalem on a white steed and say, I am your Messiah and put down the Roman Empire. He didn't do that. He came humbly, born in a cattle stall and laid in a cattle trough. Neither is it that they would seek him in repentance of sin because he says, you will not find me. Anyone who comes to Christ in repentance of sin will find Him. And they will receive from Him forgiveness. But these people will not repent. He repeats this same phrase in chapter 8, verse 21. In fact, turn there with me, if you will, page over. Chapter 8, verse 21. Same same phrase. Notice what he says. Except he he defines it even more poignantly here than in chapter 7. He says, he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die In your sins, where I am going, you cannot come. That's even more terrifying. 
You will die in your sins. You cannot come where I'm going. This is the seeking of despair having come too late. The prophet Amos speaks of it. In Amos chapter 8 verse 11, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst of water, but of hearing of the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. The wisest man in the world, Solomon, wrote something very similar in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 25. Because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord and would have none of my counsel and despised my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their own feel of their own devices. These are hard words. These are words that should fill the heart of every sinner with fear and trembling. Remember the despair of Esau? Genesis chapter 27. When Isaac came in and put hair hair around his arms and deceived his father for the blessing. Later Esau comes in with food prepared for him and he wants his blessing. He was the firstborn. Father, give give me the blessing. I've already given it, he said. Esau cries out four or five different times in that passage from Genesis 30, Genesis 27, 30 to 38. Please, Father, give me the blessing. But he could not. The blessing was gone. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews reiterates it. For you know, he says this, for you know that afterward... When Esau desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent. Get those words. He found no chance to repent, even though he sought it with tears. I've watched people. I've watched people grip the backs of their pews. I've watched them with tears rolling down their face. And still they refuse to believe. They refuse to repent. In other words, Jesus is saying these Jews are like Esau. Desperate and in despair, but will not be able to find the peace of forgiveness. He would only be found to aid them according to their expectations. And they had no expectations of Jesus. To them, Jesus was 
simply a false teacher, a false prophet. God will not be mocked. Whatever men sow, they will reap. When the day of this dreadful seeking comes, the day of grace will be gone. That is why the the prophet Isaiah writes, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He is near today. He is here. You are hearing his words. Listen to them. This is why God says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 3.15. Terrifying words. However, there is a glorious side to these words. Turn with me over to chapter 13 of John, if you would. There is a blessed note to add to these most disturbing statements. Because in chapter 13... Jesus makes this same statement, but with a different context. Notice what he says. Look at verse 33. This is on the night before his death. He says to his disciples, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews... So now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Oh my goodness, now he said this to his disciples. How their hearts must have been melting within them. The disappointment, the discouragement. We have followed you and now you're telling us where you're going, we cannot come. All they wanted out of life was to be with their Lord. And even though they didn't understand everything that Jesus was telling them, he soothed their troubled minds with the words of verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. Oh, there it is. The relief, but you will follow afterward. Now the disappointment and the heartache and the fear is gone. The promise of God is that you will follow afterward. The vast majority of these people who are hearing Jesus speak in the temple refuse to listen to his warning of their future fate. Instead, they scoffed. And I can even imagine them laughing in their scoffing. As they surmise where he might go. Where does he think he could go? That, to get away from us. Is he going to go to the Greeks? In the dispersion? Is he going to go to these dogs out beyond the Jewish quarters? They're talking about Gentiles, obviously, who had become proselytes of Judaism. We see some of them in John chapter 12. In verse 20, when they come into Jerusalem for the Passover and they asked Andrew, I believe it was Andrew, they, they asked, we, sir, we would see Jesus. These are the Greeks that want to see Jesus. Is that where he's going to go?
Tragically, these Jews missed the whole point of what he is saying. And missing that point would cost them their eternal souls in punishment. As we come to verse 37, there is a crucial crucial question that every human being on earth must face. And that question is, what will I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? These were the words that Pilate spoke as he stood before Jesus. What will I do with Jesus? As he stood to the crowd and asked the the Jews who were crying out for his death, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? It's the question we all must face. History will ultimately prove that billions of people have made wrong assumptions and choices about Jesus Christ. There is only one correct response. And that is to bow to His Lordship and confess Him as the only Savior in repentance of one's sins. That's the only correct response. Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 The writer of Hebrews makes it very clear. Being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. You say, what is that obedience? It is the obedience of believing in Him and repenting of your sins. The Israelites have been given many opportunities to believe and confess who Jesus was and believe in Him. But their hard hearts rebuffed Him on every turn. Now notice verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Hmm. The Feast of Booths is now down to its final day. This was the day when the last of the symbolic rituals were done in view and hearing of the people. There has been, throughout this week, prior to this day, there has been feasting and living in the booths that they built for themselves outside of their houses. And there were regular offerings that were made each day in the form of sacrifices. Each day the sacrifices diminished until the end of the feast. William Hendrickson writes and gives us the breakdown. On the first day, in addition to other sacrifices, 13 young bullocks. On the second day, 12 young bullocks. On the third day, 11, and and so on. And by fetching water from the pool of Siloam, The eighth day was the day of rest. 
of solemn assembly and holy convocation. The crowds would now be gathered at the temple for the ceremonies that would conclude the feast. A priest would take a golden pitcher and a great parade of people would follow him as he as they walked down the streets of Jerusalem toward the pool of Siloam and in their hands they would have in one hand they would have a branch of the myrtle tree in the other they would have a branch from a palm and as they walked they would shake the shake the leaves on these trees and it made a great noise like you hear when the wind blows through the leaves in the summertime priest, having arrived at the pool of Siloam, would dip his pitcher in the water and the parade would begin to go back to the temple. The arrival of the water at the temple would coincide with the last of the burnt offerings on the altar of sacrifice. Three blasts of the trumpets would alert the crowd of people at the temple that the ceremonial pouring of water was about to commence. There would be the reciting of the Hillel from Psalm chapter 113 through chapter 118 sung by the temple choir as the priest marched around the altar. And then amidst the shouts of joy and the noise of the branches being shaken, the priest would be urged to pour the water into the funnel made just for that occasion as an offering to God. And at the end of the pouring, there was a silence that came over the crowd. It was at this point that Jesus stood and lifted up his voice so to be heard throughout the entire temple area. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What great words. Some of the most beautiful words Of all scripture. They are full of tenderness. And compassion. Jesus has been in the temple for the last few days. Teaching. And declaring that he was the one. That came from the father in heaven. He has delivered. He has delivered the truth of the scriptures. To these who were hostile and sarcastic. Yet. He is the king. Meek, kind, gentle, loving. He is the Messiah who lifts up His voice, not in anger and frustration, but in tenderness and in truth, offering to all who will come to Him, all who will believe in Him, water that will quench the thirst of their souls. People that heard him on that day must have connected his words with the writings of the prophet. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 3. For I will pour water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. 
I will put, pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Surely they would have connected what he was saying with God's spirit. The flow of the spirit would be in illustration like the flow of water that came from the rock in the wilderness that was struck by Moses. Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. Behold, I stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. The Apostle Paul reminds us and reminded the Corinthian church of just who that rock was. That rock was Christ. There was a legend among the Jews of Paul's day that what they believed about this rock that Moses struck. They believed that the rock, that literal rock, actually followed them around the wilderness providing water wherever they went. It is true that the word, the term rock is often used in the Old Testament as a reference to God. Jacob declared him as the rock of Israel in Genesis 49. Moses portrayed him as the rock in Deuteronomy 32. The psalmist calls him the rock in Psalm 18, 62, 78, 89 and so We read of him as the rock of life in Deuteronomy 32, of the rock of salvation in 2 Samuel 22, the rock of refuge in Psalm 27, the rock of rest and refreshment in Isaiah 32. Yes, God is that rock in the person of Christ. They experienced the hand and the power of God to deliver them, to protect them, to provide for them, to sustain them, and to save them. The Israelites drank from that rock. All of them drank from that rock in the wilderness. But that rock, the water from that rock, did not satisfy their their thirst forever. They had to come back and have more. It diminished over time. Now that rock in the person of Jesus Christ, stands and beckons all who will come and drink. The spiritual rock of Christ quenches the thirsty soul forever. Now back to the feast. priest poured the water. The people saw the pouring of the water. They reflected on what God had done in the wilderness. And in that backdrop, Jesus stands and says, I am the water of life. Whoever believes in me. So you see the the pouring and the drinking are the same as believing. When one drinks, when one comes, 
when one sees, when one seeks, it is equal to believing. There's some key words there. Thirst, come, drink. For someone to be saved, they must first realize that they're thirsty. A person has to understand that they're lost before they can be saved. If they don't know they're lost, what is there to be saved from? I remember years ago, We were living in the state of Missouri, and I went out with some friends to hunt one day in the, in the national forest there. It was a huge place. We separated and went our own way so we could hunt, but we were supposed to stay within distance of hearing, which I didn't. Sat down on a log, and I began to feel sick. Well, I knew I was sick, and so I ended up having to lay down on the ground, and I fell asleep. I woke up with all kinds of bugs and spiders and what have you crawling over me, which scared me quite a bit, and I stood up, and I shook myself, wiped myself off, and I was still sick, and I thought, i got to get back to where we had parked our vehicles and So I started walking. I did not realize that I was walking the wrong direction. I thought I knew exactly where I was going. I'd been out there many times. But I guess in my sickness, I got disoriented. Pretty soon, I look around and I don't don't recognize anything. It's just all woods. And so I just walked and I walked and I walked. And it dawned on me. You're lost. So I fired off some shots in the air, hoping my friends would hear my gunshot. They never came. It started to get dark, and I'd resigned myself that I was going to have to spend the night in the woods, alone, in the dark. And I heard a vehicle, the rumble of tires on a gravel road, in the distance and so I just turned myself toward that sound and I came out on the road just about a hundred yards away was our vehicles such a great sight to see but I knew I was lost if I hadn't known that I wouldn't have thought that I ever needed anybody's help to get out of those woods a person has to know they're lost before they can be saved. Isaiah writes, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. This was what Jesus was saying to these people who had maligned him, who had no doubt cursed him, who had no doubt been sarcastic with him even laughing at him. If anyone comes, they can drink. If they experience a remedy for their thirst, 
If you're going to have a remedy for thirst, you must first come to where the water source is. Jesus is the source of that spiritual water. However, it is possible to want such relief and yet be unwilling to drink to receive it. The example of this is found in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. Turn with me to Mark 10, if you would. While you're turning there, I'll just say that last week someone came to me, in fact, several people came to me and said that my sermon was too short and that I should have preached longer. So I've got about three hours worth this morning. (laughs) Not really. In fact, you can see, if you've got the notes, you can see I'm very near the end. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, through verse 22. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, sounds like this guy's on the right track. He's wanting eternal life. Well, that just lifts your heart when somebody asks you that. I want to know how to be saved. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. I am a really good guy. I mean, just look around, you'll find that I'm much better than the people around me. And Jesus looking at him. Loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, it wasn't the act of giving to the poor that would save him, it was the following Jesus, it was the believing in Jesus, and that would make him want to give to the poor. Dishearted, about the same. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, it is possible to want what God offers, and yet at the same time, not be willing to receive it. One can seek for water and come to water. But it must be drunk to find salvation. Finally, they must actually drink of the fountain that provides life. And when one drinks of that water, they will be saved by believing in Christ alone for salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ And you will be saved, Paul said to the Philippian jailer. What does that mean? 
It means first you you understand that you're lost and that your 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 sin will separate you from God, and second it means that you 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 are willing to turn from your sin. That's called repentance. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone to save you. And when you do that, you'll be saved. So what is the water? Well, look at verse 38. He says in verse 38, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom... Those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He is speaking about the future event that happened on the day of Pentecost, when they were gathered in the upper room, and they were waiting for the Spirit to come. Jesus had told them, go and wait, the Spirit will come upon you. It came on that day like a mighty rushing wind. And the Spirit gave them utterance in languages they had not previously known to preach the gospel to people that were there from various places. And we see that 5,000 plus women and children, 5,000 men plus women and children were saved on that day. Jesus said, if you thirst, come, drink. It's there. Have you experienced that? I look around, I think most of you, I know you pretty well, you you have experienced that. But there's probably someone here who hasn't. If you today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart against him. He's giving you the opportunity to trust him. He stands ready to forgive you of your sins against Him. Let Him have His way in your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this Lord's Day and for the time we've had to worship, to sing, to give and to preach. And Father, the ministry of Your Word is what we hold most dear. It is that worship in the Word of God that that pleases You the most. And so Father, I pray that You would use this Word today to speak to all of our hearts, to especially speak to those who don't don't know you in the forgiveness of sin, that they might repent of their sins today and find peace, having drunk deeply of the water that you provide. I pray that they would believe on you today, trust in you and what you've said, that they might turn from their sin and trust you. 
This we pray and ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, the sovereign King of the universe, Jesus Christ. Amen.